Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Welcome back to the Central Station Podcast. My name is Steph Coombs and I'm your host. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Mark Bettini, the co-owner and manager of Bettini Beef, a family-run business which manages five cattle stations over a million hectares in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Mark and the Bettini Beef team have had a pretty interesting past 12 months, to say the least of it. They've gone from managing for drought conditions with a couple of failed wet seasons or below average seasons um, and a very late start to the wet season in 2019 to being hit by tropical cyclone Veronica earlier this year, which inundated four of his five properties with huge amounts of flooding, um, cold weather, high winds, and as a result, he lost a couple of thousand head of cattle. So in this episode, he's going to start off by sharing his thoughts and experiences with us. And then in the second half, we'll have a bit of a chat about um, how he went from managing for drought to flood and cyclone and what his plans are next. This episode is sponsored by Resource Consulting Services, Australia's leading provider of holistic, regenerative farm business education and advisory services. The Grazing for Profit School has been delivered in every Australian state to more than 5,500 farmers, empowering them to increase profit, lift the health and production of their land, improve relationships in their business and enhance their work-life balance. Learn more at rcsaustralia.com.au. One last thing, guys. Um, Now, whether you're on a station in the Big Smoke or just hanging out in suburbia, we have got something for you, and that is the 2020 Central Station Calendar, our first ever calendar. Now, this calendar has 13 stunning images showcasing different aspects of life on remote cattle stations, from the breathtaking views in the rugged Kimberley, even when hanging out the washing, to chasing rogue cattle that have broken from the mob, to collecting groceries from the mail plane, homestead chores, waving dad goodbye as he flies off in his helicopter, and even cracking a cold one with mates by the campfire. This calendar has got it all. Well, I don't know, it really depends what you count as having it all. But it's pretty good. We think it's all right. And the best part is, is that part proceeds will be donated to the Royal Flying Doctor Service, the RFDS, and the Isolated Children Parents Association, ICPA. Now, for the next week, we are offering a discount to our podcast listeners. So the calendar is selling for $25. And if you put in the code podcast at checkout, you'll get $5 off. So make sure you head on over to the website. Um, Hell, you know, maybe even just pause your episode now and jump across centralstation.net.au forward slash shop. You'll find the calendar and yeah, make sure you jump on quick to make sure that you get your discount and hopefully you'll see us on your walls next year. It's important to do what you love in your life. And I've been blessed with the opportunity to live and work in the pastoral industry. Big skies, wide horizons, beautiful country, and to top it off, I get to work with cattle, which I find is good for the soul, especially if you're horseback. I'll sneak a ride in when I can. 
The challenges that go with living and working in the Pilbara pastoral industry are many and they shape the people that live and work here. They make us resilient and stoic, which is both good and bad. Hi, my name's Mark. I live on DeGray Station, which is 100 kilometres by road from Port Hedland. I manage the Bettini family business, Bettini Beef, which runs five pastoral properties in the Pilbara. Every year brings new challenges, as things are constantly changing. If it's not the weather or fires, it's markets or politics or staff and relationships, you're caught between keeping all the balls in the air or working out which fires to put out first. 2018 was like any other year. It brought its fair share of challenges and rewards. The season wasn't the best, with only one of our five properties receiving decent rainfall, and I was pretty pleased that we all lived to see the end of it. New Year's Eve was relatively peaceful. I spent it with my two friends and their families in Port Hedland. I ate a bit too much, which is typical of a barbecue that Wano puts on, and I probably drank a bit too much too. Nevertheless, we all made it to midnight and talked about the past year, all its challenges and the new ones facing us. Jason was moving his family to Perth so that he could be closer to good schooling for his kids, and Wayne's wife was moving to Perth for the same reason. So it was a real end and a beginning for all of us. Life was changing. New paradigms were upon us. Bring on 2019. 2019 didn't get off to that great wet season start we'd had hoped for. We're still doing bore runs at a time of year we would usually rely on surface water. The cattle under grey were in remarkable condition considering the light season in 2018. We had lick out in all areas and it had helped keep the condition on the cattle, which was a relief. The longer the dry spell continued, they would need every extra bit of energy reserve they had for survival. At around the end of January, I completed an assessment of the cattle and pasture on all the five properties. I wanted to make sure I understood what our staff were dealing with if we faced a second dry year. Things weren't desperate yet, but they were going to be if we didn't get rain or if we didn't get our management right and muster early. We had a lot of cows that were in light condition due to the weaner they had on them that was a calf during mustering in 2018. It was obvious it was going to be a tough year for those cows and they would pose a survival risk if I couldn't get those calves off quickly. Still mustering and scorching summer temperatures wasn't what I wanted to do. A date was picked, March 11. If it didn't rain by then, we were going to be mustering. It was still going to be bloody hot, but we just have to do it for the sake of the cattle. I wrote a plan on a few pages and passed it around so the managers could see what we were in for and then just got to work on the details. My mind kicked into gear, listing all the tasks to be done before we could start. We needed hay, hay feeders and pellets for early weaning. I needed to know what I was, that I was approaching the nutritional needs of the cattle with good sense, so I consulted with a nutritionist and we decided on what strategy we'd take. We needed vaccine, tags, more lick. This drought was certainly going to rack up a bill. We also had to plan fencing and open up areas not previously grazed by installing new water points. We were trying to do our best by both the cattle and the country. On top of all that, what were we going to do with all the sale cattle? Where was the market and where, what would they return? Hang on, was this something I was forgetting? Staff, that's right, stations can't run without them. We would need some good hands to help carry out all these plans. So during February and March, keeping water up to the cattle was our highest priority, along with making sure the cattle never run out of lick. In many wells and bores, the water table was low, and we moved to pumping 24 hours in some areas to keep water up to the cattle. 
The water table had dropped too low in some places, and the pumps would slurp away but not be able to deliver any water. Cattle would then hang there in the hope of getting a drink, only to perish and lose weight and then and their energy reserves before they would walk to another water. So we had to shut off these pumps and move the cattle to where they'd get a decent drink. Being a land manager can be a stressful job at the best of times. Drought's certainly no exception. Every decision you make, both leading up to and during a drought, can make a big difference to the land, welfare of the stock, staff morale, and the business bottom line. They're all linked. If you make a mistake with any of these, generally the others suffer with them. In my experience, it's best to plan ahead and be decisive. Make decisions early. Leading up to our March 11 date, I was stressed out. We were due to start at Cain's Well, between Mallory and Sherlock Homesteads, where the cattle were at most risk. The plan was going okay. Hay, pellets, feeders, it was all starting to come together and was making sense. The staff had arrived and were inducted and we were ready to start the muster. But how many wieners were we going to have in the Sherlock Yards? Where, the, where were the markets for the sale cattle? In my mind and on paper I had answers for these questions, but it's not until you have the cattle in the yards that numbers are realised and it all becomes clear exactly what needs to be done. So you get these questions repeating themselves in your mind. I don't think I slept a whole lot during early March. I probably didn't talk a lot either. Too much brain noise. But it was nothing a decent rain couldn't fix. Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au. Throughout the dry summer, I found myself spending a lot of time on my phone, checking out websites looking for rain. When one website didn't give me a good forecast, I've moved to the next one. The long-range forecast was for March to be a better chance for rain. Well, it couldn't get a lot worse. So with our March 11 muster deadline looming, I was a bit surprised to see on the weather radar a storm go over the Malona homestead, out towards Wim Creek, and onto Cain's Well. A check with the Sherlock manager revealed that it wasn't a hoax and 17 mil had fallen. Oh well, I thought, there's no point mustering on the Monday. We'll give it a few days to dry out. I called the truck driver to tell him to have a few days off. He didn't complain that much. So a few days passed, and addicted as I was to looking for rain, I again consulted Bomb looking for a sign. Hang on. What's this? A tropical low. I had a couple of long-range forecasts early in the year, and they promised a lot when it came to cyclonic rain, but never eventuated. Nevertheless, the chance of rain restoring our season soon had me looking at the horizon and the phone for rain. They named the low Cyclone Veronica, and the forecast track had it headed for the Pilbara coast. My planning changed from drought mitigation to cyclone preparation within hours. With so many new staff members, it was important to make sure everyone knew our plan and give them up-to-date information as to the forecast track of the cyclone and what we thought about it. Some staff members did get a little spooked, as they had no previous experience with cyclones and I got a few phone calls from concerned parents. And we're still a few days out from when the cyclone was forecast across the coast. Take a deep breath, everyone. The first task to do was to make sure we had finished any jobs away from the homestead. It became a bit of a mad rush to tie down those empty tanks and make sure the solar panels were sufficiently attached to any frames. While staff were busy doing this, others were tying off windmills. 
I decided that while it was still dry and the weather suitable, that I would fly to Sherlock and move cattle away from floodplain areas, especially areas susceptible to the storm tide that can accompany cyclones depending on which side of you they cross the coast, and what time, if it crosses during a high tide or a low tide. I flew down to Sherlock and moved the cattle in the morning, and by lunch the weather was deteriorating, and a few storms were starting to develop. I zigzagged my way home, flying through the gaps in the clouds, and to tell the truth, I wouldn't have wanted to leave it any later, otherwise there would have been no way to fly home. I would much rather have my chopper safe in a hangar than out in the open with Veronica on her way. Luckily, we were able to get around to all our water points and turn off or tie down all the solars and windmills before it got too wet. We then concentrated on the immediate homestead areas, sheds, buildings and the like, tying down loose objects and storing the more fragile items indoors. The staff and all the Batini Beef properties did a great job helping secure the homesteads and sheds. Once that was done, it was up to them as to whether they stayed or left to head to a cyclone shelter in one of the regional centres. Malina and Sherlock were right in the firing line, and some staff relocated to Caratha, and others decided to ride out the storm in the homesteads. I was happy with their decision, as the homesteads of both properties were both strong buildings and had stood up to cyclones previously. More importantly, the staff had plenty of provisions and a plan of where they would shelter should things get nasty. After the cyclone, I planned to fly immediately to the affected properties to make sure things were okay if we lost if we lost communication. Well, Cyclone Veronica took her time. She certainly didn't want to do anything in a hurry and spent two days buffeting the coast between Port Hedland and Caratha. Malina and Sherlock Homesteads, along with Munda Station, were cupping the brunt of it with torrential rain that didn't abate. The Malina gauge overflowed and 575 mils was tipped out of the Sherlock gauge for the two days during the cyclone. I was able to keep contact with the staff at both properties due to phone and internet, so I knew the staff members were safe, and apart from a fair bit of water damage, the buildings were okay. One particular conversation with Andrew at Sherlock revealed that floodwaters were up to the house fence, and that there were a few dead cattle that were washed up along it. At that point, my heart sank, as the cattle were light weaners that we had been feeding by the house up until the cyclone. I was really worried for our cattle. The two days of torrential rain and wind from Veronica was not what our cattle needed, considering they were already poor conditions due to the poor season thus far. At De Grey we received 100mm, and further upstream along the shore and the Shrelly rivers, received more like 500mm. I remember looking at the river the afternoon on the second day and saw the river had come down. Later that evening I could hear it had gotten higher as it had started to make a bit of noise as it got higher and into the trees along the bank. I didn't think much of it. I just thought of the wonderful rain we'd just got and how grateful I was to get it, as many had missed out. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations team focuses on North Australian production and business systems, offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end ag industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment 
and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au. The next morning, I woke to a flood. The DeGray River was about a metre below my house yard fence, which is not quite in the pool, and flowing over its banks just downstream of the homestead. It was almost up to Cyclone Rusty level. This meant danger for our cattle at DeGray, as the river floods out here, Cattle can be trapped in the flood waters close to the river and be washed away. The weather was fine for a fly, so I took to the air to have a look. The Strelly River was huge, and at one point it was joined with the shore. This was the highest I'd ever seen those river systems get. There were cattle on islands, and most were able to get out of the flood, although I had to move some out of the water to dry ground. Further towards the coast, the flood waters were still spreading, so the rest of that day was spent moving cattle out of the path of those floodwaters, which was successful. I still hadn't been able to fly down to Sherlock and Malina. However, another chopper in the area managed to take the managers at Malina and Sherlock for a fly, and the news wasn't good. They'd seen quite a few dead cattle. On a positive note, all the waters seemed to be okay. So with this in mind, I flew from De Grey down to Malina and Sherlock and Warrenby, to see for myself. What I did see was depressing. On the way past Munda Station, I could see how high the flood water had been, and there were dead cattle visible, so I wasn't looking forward to what was ahead. I landed at Sherlock and picked up Andy, and together we started the task of counting the cattle. We could see that it died. We flew over the paddock was supposed to have all of the yearlings that we'd shifted four days ago out of the reach of floodwaters, only to find that most of them had died along a fence line where they had been blown by the wind, walking with their backs to it until they reached the fence, then had died from exposure to the elements. In one paddock we gave up counting the dead, and just had a guess, as there were so many in one area. We just flew on to the next place and kept counting. There was simply nowhere for the cattle to shelter from such a storm. With the high winds and rain, it was simply too cold for the cattle to survive, even up against the side of hills, where the cattle had tried to get out of the wind, we found them huddled together, dead. When it became wet in the low-lying country, the cattle became bogged and we found a few alive that needed to be put down. They were bogged to their bellies, with their legs straight down in the mud. On a brighter note, the buildings were okay, apart from some water damage. A lot of fencing and part of the Sherlock cattle yard were flat due to the floodwaters. Most of the waters looked operational apart from a couple of windmills, proof that the staff did a great job making sure they were secure in the lead-up to the cyclone. I remember flying past a mob of cattle that had survived and seeing a young calf that must have been born just prior to or during the cyclone and thinking, how the hell did that survive when so many of their mates hadn't? What a good mum. The landscape had suffered too with a lot of scolding and erosion of creek banks. The roads around the place didn't look too flash. There was going to be plenty of work for a grader or two to fix them, especially the Sherlock driveway, which looked more like a creek than a driveway. In all, we counted 1,500 cattle that had succumbed to the wind and rain of Cyclone Veronica. Since then, we've revised that to 2,000. Now the mustering numbers have come in, and it could still go higher as mustering progresses. We will see the impact of the losses stretch into the next few years while we stabilise our breeder numbers in those areas. Looking back over the last six months, we've gone from managing drought conditions to flood conditions in very quick time. 
even though we lost a lot of cattle. I feel blessed that we were able to get the rain. We now have plenty of grass for the cattle we still have, and the ones that are still left are in great condition. And their immediate future looks good. I really feel for the other areas of the pastoral regions that are still in drought. I hope this coming wet season is kinder to us all. We've shifted cattle in from other properties to the areas of Mallory and Sherlock that lost the biggest numbers. And in doing that, we get to give other parts of the properties a spell and reduce numbers and let the country recover a little from the last 12 months. Drought and flood are not uncommon in the Pilbara, especially in Cyclone Alley. We have all faced the challenges before and we will again. It's what we all do out here. You just have to put one foot in front of the other and stay the course. I'll keep an eye for future rainfall. With only 150 millimetres of decent rain, De Grey is not completely out of the clutches of drought. We will be again watching for rain come December to bring enough pasture for 2020, although I think the Australian Shore River have enough feed along them for another 12 months. I'd like to extend my thanks to all the staff that have had to endure picking up the pieces of the last 12 months with Bettini beef. And I hope when the new year comes around, we can see that we have all grown with the challenge and are more than ready for what 2020 can throw at us. So I want to start off by talking about um, the drought conditions that you're managing for after having um, a dry a dry year in 2018 and then a fa- what was looking like a failed wet season in the 2018-2019 wet season. Now, being in the Pilbara, it's a little bit different to the Kimberley, whereas you don't have as much of a defined wet season, do you? Because the Pilbara can receive winter rain. So normally, would you? when does your rain normally start on, on average? Do you get December rain? Um, uh, well, yeah, we can get December rain, but a, a, a normal year is a pretty hard thing to predict. Um, but w- when would you normally expect oh, look, rain? You, you, you know, you can sort of get it... Um, mid-December but I prefer to sort of think we'd start getting our rain by um, New Year. Okay. You know so you can get rain from New Year on um, but then you can also so you get your storms and cyclonic up till probably end of March but then you can get um, sort of northwest moisture streams where you know tropical and uh, moist air will come in from the from the northwest and uh, you'll get you'll get that rain in that sort of April and May almost. So if you don't get summer rain, you still can get winter rain. Yeah. But it's not often we get it at, at DeGray. It's it's in on the properties closer to Caratha, it's it's more they've more of a chance getting it there. Yeah, okay. So we've got DeGray, which is east of Port Headland, and then the other four places are just east of Caratha, is that right? And they're all fairly coastal blocks. Like they do come in inland a little bit, but they're yeah. all well, the the four of us centred around Wim Creek Pub. If if listeners know <laughs> that, very good, very strategic to buy off around a pub. Well, I'm actually it's closed down oh, this really? year. Yeah, which is good because we've been able to really focus on mushrooming <laughs> the job, <laughs> and I haven't had to go there and kick the staff out. Yeah. Okay, so you can normally you would expect the bulk of your rain though to come in like February March. You would you would expect most of your rain would be there, and that like of the useful rain, and, if, and then is is that winter rain is that just like an added bonus, like it's not something you really rely on? No, you would you 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 know you need to to have a decent season. You need to get that summer rainfall, but if you miss out on it, it's always a bonus if you do get if you it. You can get some winter. So you had picked a date of March eleven. So you hadn't had the rain that you <clears throat> needed. I suppose how far in advance? When did you actually pick that date? Was that in February sometime or when? So in fe- by February, 
you hadn't received the rain that you needed to initiate and sustain pasture growth to get enough bulk and like quality and quantity for the cattle to start gaining yeah, weight again. That's, that's a pretty fair comment. I think probably by, by mid-February we were all thinking, Jesus, dry, it's not raining. Yeah. Um, we need to start thinking ahead. Because even if you had got the bulk, even if you had, say, so what is your annual rainfall at DeGray? At DeGray, it's around about 340 mils. Okay. So by mid-February, if you hadn't got how much you'd, how much you'd had by February? No, we'd had 60 mils. Okay. So even if you could get the rest of the 280 mils, like over March, even with the drop in temperatures, though, that probably wouldn't have been enough time to get your normal growth that you would well, get. Well, you still get, um, even though you do have, uh, it's, it's cool, it's still pretty blooming warm in March and yeah, April. Yeah, okay. So it'll so it's still not get gonna response. Past, yeah, okay. No, but if you go into into May, June, then you get a, you, a you do get limited response yeah and okay. you get it from the buffle but not so much the spinifex or the you know the sort of uh grass that grow on the clay country like road and plains grass yeah and that you don't get much response from them yeah from winter rainfall yeah so you picked your date how how did you pick the date and, and like why why that date uh i just you know from us it was the date that you know it they weren't the scorching temperatures mm-hmm um so um well we don't we know that form- i know there's formulas to calculate green notes and those sort of things, but it just came to the to the point that we just picked that date as being right we have to get going by then um because the likelihood of not getting rain um is ever increasing the later on it gets, and we needed to make a a quick call and you know some of the cows weren't looking as good as what they should have been, so we needed to get going and that's why we picked March eleven okay. So how long have you been – how many times have you had to pick a date and use it? Or have you have you been picking dates, you know, the whole time you've been managing your properties and just hopefully never had to use them or um, – To tell you the truth, no. This is the first time we really actually picked a, picked a date and made a decisive decision. That's what we're going to do. Okay. Because um, while, while it's promoted and encouraged a lot in industry across all livestock industries across Australia – it doesn't seem like it's a very adopted practice. So I'm just wondering, like, what what really encouraged you or pushed you to be like, we're, we're going to do this? I just think the, um, you know, experience in, in other dry times when our management hasn't been as good as what it could, mm-hmm. you know, just you know, has just taught us to, you know, make our mind up and get going and not to, um, to pick a date and stick with it. Yeah. So... You picked the date and then you guys when, – when did Veronica come in? What was the date of that? That was – oh, I think it was 17th and 18th. It was raining. I could be wrong. I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, because it was Veronica and then Wallace came after that, right? I don't remember Wallace. Wallace was the second one. I'm just trying to think because we had forums scheduled and we cancelled those and those were in early April. Yeah. So it must have been so late March or mid to late March was Veronica. Where did Wallace go? Did that go to? I think he just hung around. He didn't give us any rain. No, he wasn't. He kind of, yeah. Damn you, Wallace. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, can, you could have been so good. <laughs> well, so could have Veronica, but she just was very stubborn and stuck in the one place. Yeah, she didn't, she didn't like to share, did she? Yeah. So you had had all your properties been dry the year before, like you, you had below average rainfall? Well, Pyramid Station was the only 
station that sort of uh, almost got their average. Yeah. I think, you know, I think they're about 290 at Pyramid. Yeah. Whereas they probably only got the, you know, 250 mil. Yeah. Um, and some was winter rain, some was summer rain, but they'd have enough storms yeah, that keep you know the, them the, ticking along. Yeah, the, keep the ticking along. Plus, you know, you had the, the pasture coming from a better position because it had a bit of growth. It wasn't chewed right down. Yeah. So then winter rain, it 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 um it sparked a bit more. Yeah. Um. So that was the only only property that really had um you know decent rain. De Grey, I think we might have got 150 mil during January. Um. And then, so that was in January 2018. 2018, yeah, might have been somewhere 100 to 150 mil without looking at the records. Yeah, yeah, but but that was in a couple of falls. Yeah, so we did get a bit of good rain and the chaos cycle out Mm -hmm. of that, but you know nothing from then on. There's a there's a there's a long there's a big distance there to feed cattle, and you need to have enough rain to feed you for 18 months, really, not just for. Yeah, months. so it's not from when the rain ends to when the rain starts again. It's from when you get enough rain to actually start that pasture growth. Because I think there's a, it's easy enough um, to think we just need to budget this grass until it starts to rain again. But it's not that first rain. It's until you get enough rain to get that that's right that grass going. So when you were, when did you decide? What's your normal lick regime? And then like when did you decide? I assume it was made sometime in 2018 that you're like. It's been a dry year. Don't know what we're coming into. We're gonna start putting out lick because oh, you do you do a dry season lick normally anyway, wouldn't you? Yeah, we've started to do that. Yeah, yeah. Probably in the last four, four years, mm-hmm. we've been feeding lick out um, because we haven't had a really good run of seasons. Yeah. Um, over the last sort of five or six seasons, it hasn't been that good. I mean, when we first came to Degray, we were lucky. We had five five years of you know, good seasons, really yeah. good seasons. So, and that kind of gave us a great false sense of security. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, but yeah, the last sort of five have been, yeah, pretty hit and miss. Yeah. So, um, also, I should mention that you've done a full day of flying mustering today, haven't you? And it's, yeah, ten, flying around the and sky. it's 10 o'clock at night and you're being very generous with your time to yeah. record this podcast. Yeah, flying around the sky and, and, um, on the, then uh, what did I do? I jumped on a horse as well and bushed some cattle. So it's yeah, all good fun. yeah. So yeah. Um, it's been a busy day. Um, I was gonna. I did just think we should tell people who don't have any context what kind of country are on the different properties because you've got some coastal country, but then you go into the desert or well, not the desert, but Pindan. Yeah, so De Grey's got some Pindan country to the to the east of it on the eastern side, up against the Pardue boundary. But then it's also got the De Grey and the shore. And the Ridley and the Strelly uh, and the Kungan rivers running through it, so there's quite a lot of alluvial floodplain as well. So it grows, grows a lot of um, you know grass pastures, but um, so it's 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 a pretty unique sort of block to have all those rivers going into it. Um, so mainly low, sort of flat, very flat country. There's a few ranges on it, but it's mostly flat with river systems going through it and spinifex plains off the rivers. When you move down to Malina and and Pyramid, Sherlock and Warrenby, you do have um, a coastal plain. So Sherlock and Warrenby and, and Malina have a lot of this Roman Plains grass type country, which is sort of, it's very flat, uh, clay country with a bit of spin effects going through it. And there are alluvial floodplains. And then uh, the Sherlock River runs up through Malina. But the further south you go, you get into the hills and the Chichester Ranges. Yeah. And then on the 
eastern side is also the Mungaroona Range Nature Reserve as well, which yep. which also borders onto the Yandiara aggregation. Um, and then um, Pyramid on the western side of it is, um, you know, it's quite a bit of hills and um, you've got Mount Welcome and the water water reserve around the Harding Dam is on the western side of that. Um, it's pretty rough and rugged country, but again, in the bottom of the of the creeks, you know, there's quite a bit of alluvial sort of soil. Um, yeah, so fairly strong country all up, um, and the cattle do do um, get pretty fat there. They do put on condition pretty quickly. Yeah, but obviously, when you've got a drought and there's no pasture, they they don't. Yeah, and so do you do how many rounds of mustering do you do? Uh, we just do the one round, unless, of course, there's an area that, um, you know, we think, uh, you know, there could be cattle that are going to be a survival risk next year or uh, maybe we just even stuffed up during the mustering and a whole heap got away. Yeah. You know, we'll just do a second lap there. Yeah. So when you decided that you need to start mustering early in this year, in 2019, that was to pull off calves that were now big enough that had been too small to pull off when you, you'd gone around there. and. Yep. You yeah. hit it on the head, yeah. And so those those cows had reared those calves, and because they hadn't got that, um, you know, that they'd become a big wiener on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so because they hadn't got had that rain in January, or February, that that wiener had pulled the condition down, and the wiener itself wasn't looking really good either. So um, and even those cows that are sort of calved out, out of sync in October, mm-hmm. so we hadn't picked up those calves during mustering. Um, those calves were pulling their cows down as well. Yeah. So when you're planning for something like this, I suppose rather than getting into just the technical side of things, how does you, how does that take a toll on you as a manager, like mentally, and trying to prepare for that and get the staff it across to the staff what you've got to do, but also just just mainly you, I suppose. Like, how do you? I mean, you're not just managing for dry conditions and the welfare of cattle on one property, but five. And it's, mm. you know, it's a bit different to usually people just have one property to look after. And even though you do have managers on your other properties, you are like, I suppose, the general manager of the five and responsible for all those decisions. And, and you're based on property and you, you see all the cattle all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're kind of tucked away in an office somewhere. Yep. Well, I, I guess, uh, you know, management across the whole lot, the buck stops with me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if there's any mismanagement, I'm kind of responsible. Um, and that does weigh on you a little bit when you think, okay, we've made a mistake there. We haven't put enough lick out soon enough. And did that, did that, uh, you know, result in the cattle not quite holding their condition good enough? Um, and then there's survival risks later on in the year. So all these decisions that you have to make and, you know, you're assisting people and guiding people as to when to get their lick out. And, and, uh, you know, you're the guy that's, that's buying the lick and making sure the properties have got it there. Um, you know, uh, yeah, the decisions weigh with you, so that does weigh in your mind a, bit, a little bit. Yeah. What kind of things do you do to to manage that? To manage that stress, is there anything? How do you look after yourself? Uh, oh, you know, as far as stress from work goes, I have a bit of an outlet, and that is that I um I like to uh, I like my horses. Mm-hmm. My horses become an outlet for my stress. Yeah. Um. So I feel like this could be something, I mean, this is only our second dry year. Oh, I suppose you said you've had a few in a row, but, you know, particularly in the East Coast, people have been in drought for so long and I feel like, and I, this is just an assumption because obviously I haven't experienced this firsthand, that, but that it could become very 
all all encompassing, all consuming, and just completely consume you. And and yeah, how do you? I'm just wondering what if if other people are listening to this that may be in similar situations. Oh, crikey. Um, <laughs> if you could just give life advice to everybody. Life advice for people. Oh, well, look, there's always a, you know, you're going to learn something out of every drought, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the thing is is to um, is to learn the lessons and don't do it again next time. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've um, worked my way through a few droughts and I know I've got my, my management could have been better. And that's why I was so driven to plan it and get mm-hmm. it all written down. And, and um, you think, right, I was five properties. It's a bloody big job to do, but how do you eat an elephant one chunk at a time? So write it all down uh, and and split it up into different jobs that need to be done and then just hand the jobs out and get other people to do them. That's that's the way I, I, got, it, I got it done. And that's the way I was able to think about it um, and clear it in my mind is by chunking it down into the jobs people could do and then the other thing is communicating your plan to your staff and making sure they know and and um and being able to recognize when they are confused and when they do need help and you know that's a it's a tough thing to do sometimes but you know we all get better at it i'm not the best at it but i'm learning um yeah anyway how important is it to actually physically write it down because i've asked a few people because again like the school of thought and what people in industry are trying to promote is, you know, have dates, have a plan, write it down. Um, and then you speak to, and everyone's different. Um, and we're all in different stages of the journey or whatever, but some people are like, oh no, I don't really have a date or I don't write it down. I just keep looking and I just, you know, it's all up in my head, but you actually wrote your plan down and then shared Mm -hmm. that with your managers. How important was that act of actually writing it down? Um, did it make it any more real? Like rather than just having it in your head, and then oh, then when it's written down, someone else can see it, and like you can't. I mean, you can change it, but you know, it's, you kind of. I feel like you might be more accountable once you've written it down, and someone I else agree. has seen it. Yep, exactly. You sort of, you know, uh, I don't know if one of a better, better term. You sort of, if you have a goal and or a plan, and uh, the steps of that plan you write down, it's, it, you know, anyone who sees that, then holds you accountable to it. So. Um, if you if you have little steps that you're responsible for that are in that plan and other people have seen it, you're accountable to it. Stop tapping the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I, I think it um, it certainly motivates you a bit more to do it because you can actually see it and actually clears clears your mind. If you can see things written down, and you know that's what you've got to do, and once you've gone through and planned it to whatever degree you want to plan it to. Um, things will become a lot clearer, yeah. you know, rather than having those thoughts in your head and, and then you stress out because they're just in your head and they're going round and round and round. I find it easier just to get it out on paper, just to do that bit of planning and say, right, oh, there it is, it's out on paper. That's the best we can do. Now yeah. let's just go and do it. I think, yeah, I, I always enjoy writing things down because then even when you just do one task, you can cross it off and you just feel just seeing something crossed off on a list yeah. is so cathartic. Yeah. How – when you're making all these decisions, did you speak to your other managers or your parents? Like how did you write or did you just do it all on your own? Is it important to be bouncing ideas off other people or? Yeah, a bit of both. You know, I obviously went around and talked to, you know, the people at different properties and asked them what they felt and how they felt about it. You know, were they worried? Where were they worried? You know, um, what would they like to see done? 
and uh, you know, yeah, we got some good answers. Um, you know, I also did uh, you know bounce some ideas off off my dad. He's obviously been in the industry for a bloody long time, and um, you know, so uh, we both put our heads together and came up came up with a lot of the ideas. But the other the other things are ideas that I wanted to implement, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, you sort of you know a lot of it you do yourself. Now, speaking about how you made the date and you needed to start mustering, was that was largely based on animal welfare reasons, you know, making if cows were a survival risk, but also there's production reasons because you need to keep cows generally, you know, a cow needs to be in a body condition score of three to have the best chance, three or above to have the best chance of reconceiving. But I also know that you're particularly passionate about natural resource management and so I feel like part of this choice was also to – to keep the country in its best condition. Can you tell me a bit about that? How making that date and mustering early and, and trying to, you know, oh, it's, it wasn't just about weaning, but you're also pulling, you were just, you were getting, were you getting sale cattle out of that muster as well? Was that part of the plan to kind of lighten off your stocking numbers or to shift cattle around? Yeah, we, we, we did need to, um, any cattle that didn't need to be there. Um, in other words, if there's sale cattle there, you know, dry cows, dry spade cows, or even, you know, steers and heifers that didn't need to be there you know they're they're really um they're still losing weight even though you've got lick out to them uh in the past that they're in because road and plains grass is good when it's got a bit green in it but when it doesn't it's just it is um it's got no protein in it at all no guts to it no guts to it at all so it's it's, so you know we learned in 2015 or 16 whenever it was we had a really bad drought and the cattle lost weight really quickly Mm -hmm. and we didn't put Lick out quick enough. We got a we got a um, a rain that year, so it didn't translate into being a, a disaster. We got out of jail, but we've learnt a lot about that country. Yeah. And um, what the hell am I talking about now? <laughs> about it wasn't just for an, for an animal welfare and a production oh, okay. thing. It was for the maintaining the country as well, yep. like getting rid of lightning right. off numbers. Okay, yeah. so we'll start again. So, so yeah, it was about. Pulling off the sale cattle as well, because those cattle that are for sale are just losing weight as well, um, and so we needed um, to pull them off and then get them into a bit of a production stream. Where were they going to go? Were they going to, you know, go to a feedlot so they can fatten up, or were they going to go on adjustment down south? Or we needed to um, start that off because you know all they're doing is um, they're eating into the biological capital of the pasture that's left there for the cattle that remain. Um, that's so, pretty cool. I've never heard that before, biological well, capital. Oh, well, I, I guess... Um, That's pretty cool. You know, if you just keep grazing your grass right down to the to the ground, it, yeah. it takes longer to recover. Yeah. So, you know, what you, you... You know, you're borrowing it in a dry season from the future grass you're going to get. So... It's funny that you say that because I know that you haven't done the Grazing for Profit course yet, but that is what I learned in Grazing for Profit, that if you... When you overgraze, oh no, maybe it wasn't in grazing for profit. It was in grazing fundamentals, which is the MLA Edge course. And Cole Stanton or Cole Payton, I always get. Those I didn't two- go to either. No, which you didn't go to Oops. either of them. And I always get those two gentlemen. It's either Cole Payton or Cole Stanton. One of them, whoever delivers the MLA Edge mm. course, is when you overgraze, you're borrowing from the future. Mm. Yeah, which is yeah, good point. And I suppose the other thing is you 
need to leave behind a certain amount of ground cover so that you're as, as coal, whichever coal that may be, coal says to leave your country rain ready so that when you get the rain, because if you've just got bare dirt, it's you're likely just going to, it's going to hit Wash it, it and scatter yep. it. Yep. Whereas you've got to leave X amount of ground cover. So you're, you've got that, um, what do you call it when you've got roots going through your soil and it's all kind of like stability. Yeah. Yep. And it can actually yeah. absorb the rain more and, yep. and have something to, and have something to, yeah. Like you said, it's easier for a plant that's kind of already there to grow. But then when you've got this teeny tiny little thing, it takes more, yeah. way more for it to grow. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So if we hadn't have got Veronica, which, and she was, it was a very, it was a very localized impact. It was basically your places and Munda that got, you know, some places towards Marble Bar got a nice bit of rain out of it. To the west, Mount Welcome Carratha got a little bit, but then just even west yeah. of that. Well, I think I think even uh, Yari and Mucken got decent rain. I yeah. think Mucken got more rain than us. They got 150 really? mil. So it went east a fair way. Um, and then in, well, I think Wallerina. Yeah, and, actually and they did. Yes, yep. Got good rain and it went up to Hillside because I know Hillside got like yeah, 450 mil. Yeah. And that's where the Shore River but came down. But in terms down. of the the damaging impacts. Like yeah. I think I do think some of those other properties around did have a few deaths, but that was basically you and, and Munda yeah. where the had the bulk of the of the damage, yeah. I suppose. Um if you hadn't have got that rain, what would this year have looked like? What and you'd started in March, what would the plan have been? And how and and particularly as we've been forecast to have a, a late start to the wet this year. Like, what do you, what do you do? Uh, well, you know, it was it was all about okay, early weaning. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going to have to, you know, pull all those calves off, pull all the wet cows, all the dry cows off. Um, that was the first plan of attack, and, and we'll put those cows back out there, and uh, that we were bushing, and hopefully with no calves on them. Yeah. How hard would you have weaned down to? Uh, I probably would have gone down to, I wouldn't have gone any lighter than about 70 kilo. Okay, yeah. We've done that before in 2016 at DeGray and it, it was, they, they were harder to harder to keep alive, those little calves. Yeah. So when you do wean, you you put them on pellets in the yards. Yeah, got... we had it all organised that we were going to use um, use pellets. Special and feeders. and they, they, Yep, yep. yep. Uh, lick feeders in the yards and... and um, you know, obviously hay from Rio and some loosen. Yeah. See, but you, from there. that is like a huge, like you're giving them the best chance possible though. Like you're really, that's really looking after them, giving them yeah. pellets. We're and trying to get them up past 160 kilo. Yeah. Where that, you know, their rumen can cope better and, you know, they can cope a bit better. And then we were going to have to put them out on a really good lick under what pasture was there yeah. before we could work out where they could go. Because the worst thing about this year was um, there was no round down south. Mm-hmm. And there was so there's no really nowhere no, none of the in the pastoral areas in the Gascon everyone's dry yeah so what else are you gonna do with them yeah there's you no know, where could they go no one's been able and, to find and then no one no one in the southwest had any rain either yeah so that that was the big problem we we're gonna have to look after them until there was a market for them what what weight would you normally wean at oh crikey I think <laughs> um, you know upwards of well, we we do have some light weaners around this year, but I don't I don't particularly think I'd wean down to seventy kilos every year. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, you know, maybe a hundred, hundred and twenty. Yeah, we'd wean down to then we would feed those light weaners on uh, till they're one hundred and sixty kilos, and then 
they're out in the paddock back with everything else. But I, I don't um, don't necessarily think that you need to light wean every year. Um, you know, there's a couple of different schools of thought. And one would be that, yeah, you've got to pull that weaner off that calf in a good year to give her the best chance of getting a calf next year. But the other school of thought could be, okay, then if we do that, are we then not culling for the right kind of yes, cow I was. that can run in the, that can actually do the job? Because most yeah. of our cows, you know, I would say the majority of our cows can do the job, can rear those calves and, and can get back in calf and keep the condition on and all that sort of stuff yeah. with that weaner. And you think in nature, how does nature do it? You know, will will nature, um, if there was a wild cow or, you know, in the herds of wildebeest in Africa or something like that, they would have to be able to, I don't know, maybe they have, they have less milk the older the calf gets and then they can actually lactate and put condition on Providing grazing management's right, yeah, you know that you wouldn't need early wean. Yeah, so that so would... you kind of if you early wean, you you know, yeah, you're you're fixing an immediate problem in a really really dry time. Yeah, but I don't necessarily think that it should be the you know you should be a standard practice every yeah. year because because of um you know you you're probably not culling for those cows that can't handle it. Yes. So that is something that came up at the Nubrook conference last week is a school thought that by early weaning you're masking cows that don't that have that longer um postpartum anesthesis and can't can't get back in like so you've got the cows that would have been able to handle those conditions and get back in calf sooner and then yeah, you kind of by taking the pressure off cows, you're masking the ones that wouldn't be able to cut Absolutely. anyway. So, yep. which is a really interesting. Always thought that. Yeah, yeah, because and it definitely is a valuable practice in in dry times from a welfare yep. perspective, most certainly. And then you know, in in dry conditions, to be able to get those cows to maintain that body condition so they can get back in calf. But it does raise some questions about if you do it every year, what are you selecting for in your herd? Do you can you can't really tell. If you're kind of yeah, you're giving some girls a, a free pass that maybe otherwise you would have mm. you would have seen that they wouldn't have got back in calf and they might have been culled. That's right. So that brings me to my next question. In a dry so let's say that we hadn't had the rain this year and you'd had another dry year. What would your if I if I can ask, I just love that I'm just going straight for all the hard and personal questions. De destocking strategies. Because I always thought that um that if you were going to destock, you'd get rid of your your dry cows first, your empties, like dry cows, because they're just freeloaders, you know, you're just trying to, you know, they can go. But then I've heard from other people, they're like, well, no, maybe you want to get rid of some of those, those dry cows are going to hold on to their condition longer. So maybe you can get rid of some of the wet cows first because they're going to drop away quicker and become unsaleable animals quicker. So maybe some people have said, no, I'd get rid of some of my breeders first and hold on to those dry cows because the longer the drought goes on, those cows are going to be much easier, well, not, much, but they are going to be relatively easier to maintain than a wet cow. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And do you, or do you just do like a bit of this and a bit of that and then just mix it up a bit or mm. how do you decide what to get rid of first? Well, you know, I think um – all the dry cattle is what I would get rid of. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't speak for what other people do in their own yeah. businesses, but what what we would do is get rid of our, all our dry cattle. So, sears you don't need, heifers you don't need. Yeah. Um, and then any cow that obviously, if if she's dry and has got a bit of condition on her, 
and uh, you know is is marketable. In other words, she's not too heavy in calf. Yeah, she's going to go too. Because uh, if they're like you know over seven months in calf, it's not a good welfare outcome yeah. if you truck them and they abort yes. that sort of thing. So there's also um, regulations about that as well. Yeah, that that sort of thing. So you've yeah. got to be very careful and and make sure you get that right. Um, but yeah, I, I probably would truck the drives first. Yeah. Okay, and then so obviously we're not in that situation this year because you did get the rain. So now I'm just going to change gears completely and talk about the cyclone and I won't keep you too much longer, but I feel like that's something because it's. I suppose it was well, like a mic. Well, I don't know. What was in that green tea that we had because I'm like <laughs> I've reached my second win now. So just Okay, good. Going. We'll keep going. I'm just, thinking, <laughs> I'm just thinking about people listening to the podcast. I hope they've got a long drive with them. Um, I'm sure you'll edit it. <laughs> pull, pull all the we'll bullshit out of it. Um, I feel like what happened, what we had in, in WA in the Pilbara this year between your properties and Munda was like a microism. I don't know if that's even the right word, but it was on a smaller scale of what happened in Queensland, which was just horrific. Like, you know, the. They Up had, in Townsville and. Yeah, in way. north in northwest Queensland where they just had the rain and the and there was the flooding, the damage to infrastructure and the cattle dying from from flooding and exposure, like drowning and exposure. And I feel like we have that over here, but on a much smaller scale because it was basically just localised to you and Munda. Yep. And, and there were a few other properties around that went downstream from you that did have a – I had heard that had had cattle wash up and stuff. So how many times – you've only been in the Pilbara 20-something years, have you? Oh, no, well, um, since 88. Okay. How long is that? There's a fair way. 31 years, <laughs> only because I'm an 89 model. Okay. I can do that math pretty quick. Okay, but how many cyclones, like was that in terms of DeGray and these other properties, you, you only got DeGray in the mid-90s though, right? Uh, yeah, DeGray so, in 96. Yeah, so for Cyclone Alley and then these other properties you got in the last four or five years, there are other. Mm-hmm. Since 2014. Yeah, so is that your main, in terms of Cyclone Alley, how many cyclones have you had to deal with? Oh, crikey. <laughs> Jesus, but like a lot. Like, is it something oh, common yeah. every year? Okay, so you so you've been through a few. So when you're like well, Veronica's coming, you kind of knew what to do. Well, the ones that I yeah. Well, the, look, you you prepare you prepare for lots. You don't necessarily get them all. Yeah. You know, so you yeah, there's one there, and the, you know, bomb's got a forecast trap map. That's been you know later. Yeah. Um, they've got a forecast track map going straight through your place, and then they'll shift it over a couple oh, of days. You know, it's and so yeah, you know, you're better off being safe than sorry. So if there's something in the you, you know, even if they've got the trap forecast track going somewhere else, you still yeah. clean up and prepare for it. Yeah. Is there anything? That you can do, like you said, you move cattle to higher ground or move them out of a country that was prone to flooding. But at the end of the day, it was really that exposure that got them. Like, yep. is there anything that can be done for that? Like, I just. Um, look, I think. Um, because how, know, how cold would it have gotten? Sorry to interrupt, but how cold? Oh, I don't know. I, I, um, that's it's a question for Andrew at Sherlock. But I know that it was bloody cold. It so was maybe cold. Yeah, below nineteen degrees. Okay. You know, um, it's just I funny because that doesn't seem that cold. No, it like, doesn't. But when there's a hundred and fifty k an hour wind winds, blowing on your back, yeah, well, yeah, um, and they and they are Brahmin. So and also you run Brahmin cattle, yeah, which are not yeah, and they're already in light condition. And, so the yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's hard for them to maintain yeah. body temperature when they're in poor condition. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but, you know, like I say, I, I saw um, 
There was still cattle there. I mean, when, when I walked around, there was, there was still cattle in score four. Yeah. In parts of the mob, but, you and that's know, on a five-point scale. Yeah, on a five-point. Yeah. So, there's still cattle in score four and, you know, like high, high score three, maybe a score three plus. So there was still cattle there like that. Yeah. And uh, they still, you know, that rolled them. It's just... So, <clears throat> when you're seeing this, something I – like we saw a lot on the news, especially in Queensland, you know, all the deaths and there's a lot about the numbers. In terms of the cleanup, um, what actually happens with that? Because we've seen photos, like you guys had put up some pictures on Facebook of the dead cattle washed up along fence lines and stuff, but do you actually have to go in and do something with the carcasses? And, I mean, I know you have to repair fences and probably move the ones on fences, but what do you – you have 2,000 head there. Like what do you – how do you even – what is the plan? Oh, well, you know, there's stuff in them, you know, that was on the side of the road there. Yeah, we went and buried, you know, yeah. where it was a really, really graphic area on that was one little little corner of a paddock. We'd been feeding some light weaners at Warrenby for since since mustering and, and Davey and Helen have done a great job, you know, getting them up to a good condition and keeping mm. them alive. And, uh, yeah, they they'd, uh, poor little buggers had gotten in the corner of a paddock and obviously succumbed to the elements and, um, you know, I don't know, there was sort of 30 or 40. And one little mob hopped, yeah. hoped, yeah, a terrible sort of thing to see. So we decided, we'd, you know, we'd go and bury them. Yeah. Um, so we went, you know, it wasn't a very nice job to do, obviously. They had to wait for it to dry out. So plenty of people were driving past the road to see, could see them. Yeah. Because you couldn't get on get on there because it was all um, it was all wet. But the rest of it, you know, where they are, you just you just can't get to them, and they're, and they're very. Some of them, they're not all close together. There'd be a few over here and a few over there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you really couldn't get to them. And that job of flying around and having to figure out what was still, because I'm sure you found patches of dead ones where there were still live ones in there, and having to. How. Yeah. Well, how would that? How okay come that one survived and that one didn't? didn't and they yeah. look, you know, the same yeah. sort of condition. Yeah. And then, and then the ones that were bogged, that obviously that needed to be euthanized. Yeah. yeah. So how does that? Because it wasn't just you doing that; you had your staff. So you going around with the managers, but did you have just your regular crew going around looking for cattle? And was it just kind no, of like it was a, just too wet? Okay. Nobody could get there. The only the only way so to just get just it was fly. Was, was okay, fly so it was kind of localized to you on whatever manager you had with you at the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So how do you? Obviously, that's got to take a huge toll on you. And, and your managers, like, and, and maybe it's not something you realise at the time because you just we're very stoic in this industry and you just grit your teeth and get on with it. But mm-hmm. these, like, these cattle aren't just a meal ticket. Like, they're your that's years and years of work and your passion, and you're either seeing them dead or you're having to shoot them and seeing them, you know, in not a great circumstance before you have to, yeah, I mean, put and, them down. You know, immediately in the in in the in the first you know the few days I suppose you, you know in the aftermath of the cyclone yeah it was pretty bloody depressing and then you know we're thinking gross you know what sort of a uh, income are we going to have now because you know a lot of the yearlings on on Sherlock um, that were sale cattle and there's you know seven or eight hundred of them or whatever there was in that paddock and pretty well all dead yeah you know and so okay there's a big heap out of the sale and then how many cows we got and how many calves are they going to have left and so it all plays in your mind, but um, then you, you know, with you, if you put it into context, it's, you know, the, the size of the herd and the, that our business has got, you know, it's when you're talking fifteen hundred head, it's probably only, um, you know, 
10% of our whole herd. Yeah. So you put it in context with that, you feel, you know, even though, you know, it's terrible that it's happened to 1,500 head, it, you, it makes you feel a lot better that yeah. it's only 10%. Yeah. So it's like you're risking less. Um, but and- in terms of the impact on you, though, like you've seen a lot of – I know I know. I suppose it's not – we become desensitised to it and maybe you we have do. been. We definitely do. But so is that just the way – is that how you cope with it? Because, I mean, and I'm sure – yeah, people in Queensland, it's a whole different ball game because people lost their entire herds, or yep. there was just there was a lot more devastation over there. But death is death, and even seeing just a couple wash up dead, like yeah, how do you? Oh, you know, like I think there is certainly a degree of being desensitised to it, um, and then you know if, if that's all you see when you're flying mm-hmm. around, you know, yeah, if you see it, it was shocking and confronting. Really was, and yeah. for a couple of days, and, I, and you know, we we're feeling pretty bloody terrible. But then, you know, like I said, you saw his cow there, and she's had a newborn calf, and, and you know, it survived miraculously somehow. And, and um, you know, after a while, the grass begins to grow, and yeah. the, the other cattle put condition on. You realise that you know this is nature, and nature is powerful, and um, not only did we lose the cows, but the, Thank God we got the we got the grass, and so yeah. there's the benefit in in Veronica is the country actually got a spell, you know. Yeah. Because I mean, if 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 those if we didn't have Veronica and all those cattle didn't die, I'd be still drought mitigating, and I'd know what I'd prefer. I'd rather I'd rather be looking at a um, a grass growing. Yeah. You know, and uh, and pasture there, and the cattle that are there doing well. Yeah. Um. So, you know, if if you ask me what, what sort of situation would I prefer, I'd rather get the rain. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, yeah, I don't know how the other listeners think about it, but it, it was a natural disaster and that's... it's Well, I don't think anyone can judge because you until you're there making that decision, it's like for me, like... You can you can learn all you want, and you can have you know your own your own imaginary herd and your own imaginary decisions. But until you're actually the person that has everything on the line mm. and is the one making like calling the shots and is in that in those shoes, whether it's you or your next door neighbor or wherever, like your choices are different to your next door neighbors to everyone else. It's like everyone's in different circumstances, and I think there has to be a lot of understanding with and you know and you've got a whole life history of whatever's led you to your thoughts about things now, like. Yeah, so if people feel, and I'm sure people will feel differently about that, but mm. you can't like, yeah, I, I I think that's that's a very valid and fair position to have in this circumstance. Yeah, because you think about all the damage that I mean, there was a lot of erosion done to the country, mm-hmm. but um, you know the the country actually gets a chance to recover. Yeah. So I'm not saying that you know, it's, I'm, I'm just sort of saying. There's the downsides to the to the cyclone. Yeah. And, uh, everything died. We had so much damage, and we had to put up all the fencing, and and it was really hard on staff morale, and and uh, and those sort of things. But then there's the upside, and that is, is that, that yeah that we you know the the country is taken care of. In other words, it's We're- it's yeah it's getting a bit of rain, and you're getting some grass growth, and you know. Um, so that yeah, so if if it had been the alternative and you had an ongoing drought, you possibly still would have had similar numbers of cattle losses, but you also the business would have been completely stretched or, or you know absolutely. or you know or going down that path because you know you can't 
feet like drought feed forever or whatever and the country would have just been going downhill so out of the two alternatives of cattle potentially dying but there's two different potential outcomes for the country you got the outcome where yeah but you know during the drought um Who's to say, you know, we probably mightn't have lost that much because, yeah, you know, you yeah, with our management, dis- yeah, you know, exactly. we were able to yeah. move cattle off and feed them. You know, yeah. it would have been a hell, hell of an expense. Right. Yeah. Um, but we would have been able to do it and we would have still been doing it. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Veronica happened. So it is what it is. It is what it is. It. And we're just rolling with it. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So you have had the rain, more than enough rain. Um, and I totally, when you read out that part about the Sherlock driveway, mm. I very much agreed with that yeah. because I only drove down there in June. I don't know what it's like now if you've had a grader go over it. We've had a grader go over it a couple okay. of times. Okay, yep. you should probably bring that grader to the degray driveway because well, it's a little yeah. bouncy tonight as I drove in. Yes, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, you were talking about a horse flight. I know. With a rather big horse. Oh, I didn't know. I was like, should I just be going fast or should I go slow? Well, you know, if you go fast, you only hit every second bump. I just hooked it. Anyway. But your horse, your horse would have appreciated that. I was like, I hope there's good suspension in this flight. Not a horse, a pony, but anyway. Yeah. Luckily, he's pretty solid. But so we have got the rain. Well, you have got the rain. Yeah. What is the plan from here on out knowing, because it did come late. Well, I mean, it wasn't that late, but Mm -hmm. later than it would have been. Have you had the pasture growth that you wanted? Um, well, talking about degray first, um, you know, where we have the floodwaters, there's still lots of feed. You yeah. know, we're in the low-lying channels, you know, there's, there's areas there that's been had some really good good growth. Yeah. But further away from those, in those areas that, you know, only had their 100, 150 mil, um, it's going to be light. Yeah. So we're we're selling back. We're like every cow that is in good condition. We're preg testing them to make sure that they're not too heavy in calf to truck, um, and and they're getting sold. Now, so we're cutting back our breeder numbers. When you're preg testing those cows, though, what if they're if you're are you fetal aging? Yeah. R- roughly, what if they're due to calf at the right time of year? What if they're those good cows that have gotten calf? And a due to carve out over the wet. Yeah, but if they're fat and they're dry. Oh yeah, sorry. No, I have missed. Yeah, no, no, sorry, but weren't you saying the ones that weren't in calf enough? Like okay, weren't, so if they're wet, enough? if if the if the cows are wet and rearing a calf. Oh yeah. Oh okay. So you're. But if I mean, yeah. Okay. They're wet and rearing a calf. They're fine. So yeah, but you're saying yeah, if they're dry, they've missed one. Okay. Yeah, if they're dry and they're and they're you know sort of. But no one comes in wet every year. What was that? So no one comes in wet every year, do they? Uh, I guess you've got some pretty good country down here. I'm thinking of some of the more marginal country I've spent some time. I mean, it's the goal. It's the goal. Mm. (laughs) I feel like I've just thrown out a Pandora's box. I didn't understand exactly what you said the first time. So you don't get a wet rebreed every year. So you're saying because if a cow, you're saying if a cow comes in dry pregnant, if she's dry, she's missed the year before or yeah. a calf hasn't survived. Yeah. But is that – You know, yeah, yeah, sure. A lot is due to, to season conditions. But, yeah. you know, if, if you have cattle that can handle the conditions – Yeah, if you want I was going to say, if some are coming know, in wet pregnant and some are coming in dry pregnant, exactly. I guess this, you're going to get rid of your cow. That cow is, you know, she's coming, she's wet, she's, she's probably just 
you know, she's just she's just weaned the calf. She might be in score, you know, poor score three condition. She but she's probably got a buddy six months woman calf and her guts as well. And you're thinking she's a pretty good cow. Actually, this is where I need someone else to come in on this because I'm quite bad at doing timelines. Oh, but well, the look, other I've, thing to <laughs> what I'm saying is 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 the cow, you know. If the cow's lactating yeah. and in calf, she's she's handling the conditions of the country. Yeah, but the other question is, what size is her calf or wiener? Oh, look, Did she have it? What is it? Is it 10.30 at night or something? Thing? That's only because I've just done the breeding edge course and we'll do another episode yeah, on that yeah, anyway. Yeah. Oh, look, I, know, I do know. Sorry, that. I'm not here to question. <laughs> just hear that, Mark. Yeah. Let's, yeah come, anyway. Look, come down the cattle yards tomorrow. Bring the microphone with you. <laughs> We'll have, you know, there'll be an yeah. audience of around about eight and 900, but anyway. Yeah, no, that's right. It's only just because I've been at this conference and, and it's things that I think about and then I forget to think about them and then it happens and I can't do these breeding timelines in my head and I have to draw these things out. Yeah. Um, so, so when, but here's a question for you. When should a, when do you think in the Pilbara should a cow be carving down? So, First thing we do is establish our green. This this is the technical textbook answer. Right. Establish your green date. So that is the chance of getting 50 mil or more three days in a row. A 70% chance of getting 50 mil or more three days in a row between the 1st of October and 1st of March. So that's that's generally 50 mils over three days is enough rain to, to initiate and sustain pasture growth. Okay. To get 50 mil over three days. So that's the green date. Now, there's been some different things come out in industry in the last few months. But the general consensus is, is that you want to start carving on the green date. Some people say six weeks before the green date. Some people say on the green date because a carving pattern, and this is ideally, I mean, this is if you had controlled mating, they're going to be spread out over three or four months anyway, but the bulk of them tend to drop about six weeks into that carving cycle. And that is six weeks after the pasture has started to grow. So you would have, the bulk of your calves dropping when you've got six weeks of growth. But then some other people say to carve six weeks, start carving. Yeah, yeah, no, because then, because that is, because you want to be, because then, let me think about this, because if you start carving on the green day, six weeks later, so that first bunch of calves are. Uh, about six weeks is the is the peak nutritional demand of a calf. Mm-hmm. So their peak demand is matched up with when that you've got that bulk of and um, that first real quality and quantity of, of grass coming through. Yeah. Whereas if you some people say to carve out six weeks before the green date, which means that those first lot of calves, their peak nutritional demand is going to be at the green date when you're just getting that green pick, and that's not enough for the cow. So the general. I hope to God I've explained this right, but yeah, you carve at the green date. So I kind of, I kind of get the picture. Yeah, it's it's late, but I don't know when the you'd have to work it out for different regions. But I, but in saying that, it's kind of a a so moot really point got, for the bulk of the pilgrim yeah, because so there's not no controlled mating. Yeah, and also you know the rainfall is pretty variable, so you yeah. have to look at the averages of rainfall for a particular yeah. month and then say, okay, we'll say, you know. So the average start time of when you're going to get good rain is probably mid-January. And then so we're probably going to have by mid-February, we're going to have good grass on the ground. Yeah, so you want them to be carving. So I reckon, you know, I I was thinking beginning of March would be a good time. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, mid-Feb, I would say, if that's when you're starting to get that bulk and that 
quality as well yeah. because that you you just want to match that up with the calves with the with the peak the peak nutritional demand with the with the nutritional yeah. availability I would be kind of thinking of it on the lines of when would nature like when are when are other animals around the place starting to have offspring yeah. if it was a natural cycle when would that when would that cow after years of women um you know natural selection oh. when would they calve but I think I don't know if nature would take care of that because if they're cycling nature would. I don't know, like she could just get pregnant any time of year and carve out any time. I think it would. And then and then nature would look at the big herds in Africa. Do they all carve down? They at wouldn't the same all time? carve everywhere because they've all got to migrate and go places. Interesting. So do research into that. I will. Okay. Yeah. I've kind of well I've 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 sort of learnt enough to know to ask the question. Yeah, yeah. Well no, that's an important yeah. thing is to hmm. interesting. Um so, I forget what I was on. I think I was going to ask, now that we have, you have got the rain, what, but you have got the prediction for the late start to the next season. Well, I only heard that now from you. Oh, yeah. No, that's it's been the doom and gloom forecast oh, for months God. now. We're having a yeah. late start. Everyone's it's, but it's not, it's not if we get rain, it's when. We will get rain. That is, well, we're all collectively I've thinking said, it. Every day that it doesn't rain is a day closer to when it will. Yes, there, there you go. We will get rain. Um, what is the plan? So we're in, what are we in now? August, almost September. So this this is the time of year where cattle, we're coming into that pointy end where cattle will start to fall away. Yeah. Maybe perhaps not in your country because you have had the rain, but everyone else is. Yeah, well, the, if they haven't had rain, they're still falling. Yeah. So they would have been falling, falling. from last. Yeah, but this, I suppose we're getting to the pointy end where they may not be saleable, like or all fit to load. Yeah. Starting to get into that. Maybe that's more October, November, but they are <laughs> going to be dropping away to the point where. Well, I guess, you know, if but, you get to this end of the, where the, you know, pasture, you know, up till now it's been plateauing. Yeah. And now, you know, then it just, dry cattle will will slowly start to. They won't be gaining any weight. They've gone backwards. But slowly, they'll slowly start to lose. They, you know, they might only lose a couple of hundred, yeah. a couple of gram a day or something yeah. like that. But it'll get worse and worse as the pasture deteriorates. Yeah. So the thing now is to you've got to have your look out now. Yeah. Get it out now. Get it out early. I mean, we've had it out for a little while. Yeah. And and they're they're using it like in the. What kind of lick is it? Oh, we're using a a breeder lick, a urea based lick. Okay. But then do you have to switch that out as you come into the wet season because you can't? Yeah, well, it, look, if you um, when it rains, yeah, it's a loose lick. Yeah. So basically then it's fed out in bulker bags. So if it does rain, all your ear will leak out of it anyway. So it doesn't become much of a much of a drama. Okay. Because we just feed it out in the bulker bags. Yeah. So what's the plan if you don't get – If I suppose if you, if you don't get – are you going to – are you now that you know about Green Day? Are you going to set a green day and does, and like, no, you know, if we don't get X amount of rain by X amount of date, we're going to make our plan again or? Oh, look, no, I think what I'll do is we know the importance of getting a lick out and making sure that, that um, you know, that the cattle, um, you know, if, if they're hanging in areas that there's not a lot of pasture, we know the importance of it. You know, if they, if they, they make sure they've got lick, Make sure they're in areas there's plenty of feed, and uh, you know I'll get mustering over and done with, and I'll put some thought into it. 
Raji. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably wind that up now because it's almost 11 o'clock and yeah. I know you've – at least you don't have to fly tomorrow, right? Uh, no, I'm just drafting. Okay, right. that's fine if you get rolled in the yards. That's right. That's... And we've already had our three three um, injuries that happened the last couple of days. Oh, okay. So, so we have three. It's fine. We're yeah, all safe. Yeah, there you go. Bad things come in three. Um, good things come in threes, which this can – I'll consider this the first of the three episodes we'll do with you then. Because this, I suppose this was very specific on what's happened recently, but we need to do – Well, three blogs. Yeah, three but episodes, we just read right? the mm, – no, this is all just one episode. Oh, okay. Um, but I thought we would do another one just so people can keep a keep an eye out or an ear out for just – who the hell are you and, oh, and what okay. is Bettini Beef? Because we didn't really get into that. It's a man of mystery. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and then also one on um, like sustainable agriculture and natural resource management and that mm. whole area that I know that you're really passionate about and really into. Yeah, learning about it. Yeah. Mm. And just, I, it's very – I'd like – to hear it because it, a lot of these things, I suppose, are spoken about on a small scale. So to see you trying to apply it on a large scale because how many, just briefly, how many hectares do you manage between the five properties? Just over a million hectares. A million hectares. Yeah, okay, it. so you're trying to, you know, ideally, I know you've got plans of things you so, want to implement yeah. over the million hectares. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that deserves its own episode. But for now, <laughs> you probably deserve to go to bed. That'd be nice. Yeah. All right. Thank you for coming on the podcast. If you're still listening to this podcast episode by the one hour and 16 minute mark, uh, congratulations and thank you for sticking around. As you would have heard, uh, we did record this episode quite late. I had driven 1500 Ks in the last 24 hours before I pulled into DeGray. Mark had had a full day flying and um, tailing out wieners. So he'd been in the sky and on a horse and we were both pretty tired. Um... So hopefully you got something out of that. I think it was really great to have somebody, you know, a land manager and a, and a livestock manager share their experience um, in in managing for really difficult circumstances. And I definitely got a bit tired and started waffling towards the end, but Mark had some pretty good um, nuggets or gold nuggets in there of knowledge and experience. So One thing I just want to clarify is towards the end of this episode, we started talking about the ideal time to calve down. Um, This is really different depending on where you are, what region you are, what type of country you have and what your enterprise is. Um, The information that I was sharing was kind of a general rule of thumb. Um, When it comes to calving down, I mean, there are a few different schools of thought, um, but one of the one thing to consider is is you know where, where some people are saying to carve down six weeks before the green date, and some people are start are saying to carve, start you want to aim for carving to be on the green date is I suppose one thing to take into consideration when picking when you want your cows to carve down is yes you want those you want to match up your calves peak nutritional demand with the peak availability from the pasture, but also we need to be managing for risk of what if we get a late start to the season, a late break. So if you're planning for one time and you don't get that break and you don't get that pasture, you could that, you know, that could pose some animal welfare risks. Whereas perhaps if you are aiming to carve a little bit later when you know that you're, you know, you've got a much higher chance of having that growth there either way. Um, that is, that is something that between recording this episode and, 
doing the final edits now, that is something that a few producers have raised to me um, as their perspective on this. So yeah, everything we said was, um, you know, I don't want to sound like one of those ads where on TV, like the finance ads and there's a little guy that talks really fast at the end and he's like, the advice is general in nature, but the advice is general in nature and anything you're looking to change in your management or learn more about, yeah, um, get in touch with the ag department in your state or go to one of the MLA courses and they'll get you sorted. As I've said in many other episodes, if there is anybody that you want on this podcast, please message us, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Let us know. I will stalk them down. I will get them on the podcast. Also, if you liked what you heard from this episode with Mark and episode eight with Hayley Goad, who works for Mark on Degray Station, make sure you follow Bettini Beef online so you can find them on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Um, you just type in Bettini Beef and they will come up and that way you can um, follow all their adventures. There are currently over 1,100 compelling true stories on centralstation.net.au which will open your eyes to what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. There are yarns from station managers, ringers, cooks, govies, pilots, vets and more told with humour, self-deprecation and pride in a job well done. There are tales of working in stock camps, mustering cattle, and how education and socialisation works in some of the most remote parts of Australia. There's stories about the wonder of living in an amazing landscape, but also the perils that come with flood, fire, and drought. And there's stories about the inherent danger of living in isolation, including times when the flying doctor has come to the rescue. These stories paint a vivid picture of outback life, the good, the bad, and the dusty.